Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Building a beverage brand, as we all know, has a ton of challenges and obstacles, but if you can find success, a lot of beverage brands can reach a really large mass appeal, which is super exciting. And for today's episode, I want to kind of talk through some of those areas as brands are navigating the building a beverage company. And for that, I've invited on Victor Guardiola and Jordan Hicks, who are the co-founders of Bowie. And they're on a mission to put a modern twist on Agua Frescas by creating a health-conscious and bubbly version of the classic beverage made with organic fruit juice. Welcome, Victor and Jordan. Thanks so much. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us. So I'd love to kind of start at the beginning and kind of learn about your company, how you get started. I know you mentioned you originally started as a farmer's market brand. What were some of those early days like and why did you decide to start a beverage company? Yeah, yeah. We can give you the overview of kind of the process of creating Bowie. But really, like you mentioned, we started very early scale within farmer's markets. And even before then, we started at an entrepreneurship program here in Austin at UT Austin. And that program helped us get our bearings in terms of figuring out whether or not a ready to drink better for you agua fresca has likes to stand on. And through the practicum, we kind of realized that the product itself, cultural relevance aside, has some likes to stand on within the industry as this kind of middle ground caloric beverage made with natural flavors. Right now, our core skews are between 40 to 60 calories with a really clean label. So usually just organic fruit juice, water, and in two to three flavors, a little bit of organic cane sugar, which stays true to the the agua fresca recipe. So after the practicum, we knew we wanted to give this a shot and really trial it out. And the best way to do that is to obviously figure out a way to sell your product within some verifiable sales channel, which is exactly when we decided to launch into the Barden Creek Farmer's Market here in Austin, where our ambition was to prove out whether the product truly had some semblance of product market fit and also self-fund the development of the business. And that was several years ago. And we were there for roughly four or five months, you know, serving it on tap every single Saturday. And then COVID kind of reared its head and nuked on-site consumption, to which we quickly had to pivot and figure out how to fundraise to really get this thing off the ground. So tell me about those early days of kind of fundraising, especially if you're doing it during COVID. And that was a huge challenge, right? No one was really sure where the market and the world was going. So what were you able to accomplish while doing that? Yeah, I'll speak more sort of the fundraising side and Jordan can kind of address us building this operational system and sales system. Yeah, we chatted about this kind of recently too. What was interesting about fundraising during the pandemic was most investment activity kind of slowed to a complete halt as everyone was just hunkered in. But that also gave us an opportunity to reach out to a lot of people who now had significantly more open schedules and were willing willing to chat with us. So genuinely, we just ended up cold emailing tons of people, hundreds, if not thousands, by the time we got our first investment. And we were lucky enough to land an investment from a local entrepreneur here in town 
Patrick Terry from Terry's Burger Stand that kind of got the ball rolling. But speaking more so to the mechanics of the fundraising process and furnishing samples, it was it was very ad hoc. You know, we would have some prospective investor say that they're down to meet up with us, and Jordan and I would make the samples, you know, as needed in these little champagne bottles to meet up with them. Yeah, you know, from an operational standpoint, as Victor mentioned, you know, it was kind of an interesting time to be fundraising. So we didn't have a ton of, you know, early success right out of the gate, which, you know, we didn't have a ton of cash of our own to throw into the business. So it was really dependent on getting the cash to really get started. But in the background, you know, we did as much as we could, as far as just kind of lining up the dominoes to start falling once that first check hit. So we were doing a lot in the background, obviously, you know, exploring a few different agencies on, you know, kind of building the brand identity a little bit, but also doing a lot in the background, figuring out how to take this, you know, farmer's market formula that we had that was using, you know, fresh pressed juice and putting it into a, you know, ready to drink format that was shelf stable and, you know, wasn't going to explode in the can or, you know, separate over a week or spoil over a week. So it was a lot of just kind of like getting our ducks in a row and just kind of lining it up to get it to a point that once we did have enough cash to get going, you know, it was kind of a little bit more off to the races. I know a lot of the beverages starting out, you were kind of making by hand. When did you make the transition to working with a contract manufacturer? And what was that process like? Yeah, so we were hand making the Agua Fresca for a pretty long time. I had actually stolen a bunch of homebrew equipment from my my uncle, who was a big homebrew guy. So we kind of had some type of production processes in place, but you know, we made that transition to the more manufacturing, larger scale side of things once we got the check. And that looked like basically calling a bunch of breweries around town and hopefully convincing them to let us squeeze in some line time if they had a canning, you know, operation going. And luckily we did find one. There was an awesome brewery who unfortunately isn't around anymore, but called Adelbert's Brewery, which is funny enough, a few blocks away from where our warehouse is now. But it was just a small little brewery here that, you know, was really just kind of a local dive spot. And they had some really great brews, but they had a really nice canning line, a really nice canner. And the gentleman that was running it, his name was Scott, was very knowledgeable in the beer industry and really helped us kind of dial in the production side. And what was really nice about that compared to, you know, finding a broker to help sell you into a co-packer or finding a co-packer that, you know, do a run that meets the MOQ at that large scale, it really allowed us to kind of get our hands dirty and really figure out what works and what doesn't work with our formula. And luckily, our formula is pretty easy to, you know, kind of tinker with. It's really just fruit juice, water, and sugar in two of our three SKUs. But, you know, it really allowed us to kind of figure out what the production process should look like, shouldn't look like, what works, what doesn't. And what those pain points look like, which helped us, you know, roll into some of these larger co-packing conversations with a little bit more understanding of the general flow and some more confidence to, you know, kind of roll into it because it's a little intimidating at first. (laughs) Do you remember how many units you had to produce for your first co-manufacturing run or about? Yeah, you know, Scott was very generous with us. We really leaned into the young and dumb kid angle because back then we were like 21, 22, just like, hey, you know, we had this idea. We want to figure out how to do it. And he was lucky enough to 
you know, not enforce any crazy MOQs. He's like, yeah, I mean, we can, you know, get it into a keg. And then if you guys want to can it, we can can it. If you guys want to just roll around with a, you know, a tap the same way you guys have been serving in the farmer's market, we can do that. So really, we just started batching, you know, with like one keg MOQs per skew, which was, you know, super attainable for us, luckily. But yeah, no huge, massive can runs or anything like that out of the gate. It was a lot smaller scale, which we were very lucky to have. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You know, because I talked to beverage brands, they're like, you know, I have to manufacture 10,000 cans of three different SKUs and out the gate, I'm starting with 30,000 units that I have to sell, which is definitely a challenge. So it sounds like a huge benefit of you guys having to start just, you know, at the keg level and a couple cans after that. So Victor, talk to me to you about how you took that initial kind of run and you started getting product and what was your process like of selling that in? Did you immediately go to try to pitch the Whole Foods or go to pitch to this local independence around Austin? Like what was your process of getting to market? Yeah, we most certainly did not immediately try to pitch the Whole Foods. I think that probably would have scared us a bit too much. We had a couple of small wins early on that kind of set the momentum to get us going within Austin. Jordan had worked at a sales capacity previously, so he knew how to sell into accounts quite well at an intimate level. And we started piecemealing some Austin accounts here and there, but some of our big wins where other brands like Siete Food started was a co-op here in town called Weedsville Food Co-op. And we slowly started adding more accounts, but the two bigger ones we ended up getting during our first six months in market was Central Market here in Texas. We got in during Hispanic Heritage Month around September. It's HEB's sort of natural chain here in town where we ended up seeing quite a lot of success. And besides that, we also saw that Foxtrot Market based out of Chicago, they had a wonderful program called the Up and Commerce Program for minority-owned and woman-owned businesses, and we applied for it. We didn't win, but we were finalists there, which got us placement within the store. And we ended up doing a lot better than we thought we would do in the Midwest as an Agua Fresca brand. And it's gone on to be one of our most significant metros. Really, we're focused in three areas geographically. Aside from the Sprouts National Activation, we recently were able to get, but really we're in Texas, California, and in the Chicago area. But a bulk of the business year one was sort of a central market and Foxtrot. And then later on, we were able to piecemeal more and more accounts and then get a lot bigger activations than year one. But it kind of scaled up rather quickly from a door count perspective as these bigger name accounts started wanting to offer us placement and many more stores than, you know, these smaller chains we're used to in Austin. About how many doors are you in now? Yeah, we just broke 600 a few days ago. So yeah, you know, activating Sprouts was a real big bump to our door count, but that also opened up some national distribution that's been trucking along really well too. But yeah, just a little over 600 doors as of today. That's really exciting. You know, one thing that's a really fun kind of challenge to navigate is when you start getting above that 500 door count and you can't go to every single store to see how your products are doing. And so how are you thinking about managing growth to make sure you're maintaining velocity and sell through and identifying problems as you start to grow closer towards a thousand? 
Yeah, that's actually something that's been super top of mind. You know, we got some really, really great DSD distribution, and that's what we're really focusing in on as far as supporting some of these retail doors. You know, obviously building a great relationship with those DSD, you know, store or, you know, route guys, you know, all the people in between just doing whatever we can to kind of get them situated and dialed into to our product and our brand and stoked on it, obviously. That's been our main goal. And then obviously, you know, demos is always great where we can, but really just, you know, extending a hand to the, you know, to the retailers is as often as you can just checking in and building, you know, a, a more personal relationship has been super helpful for us. Because like I mentioned earlier, you know, we lean into just being like, you know, young kids trying to figure it out, but it's helpful to just extend the conversation and be like, Hey, you know, if you guys need anything, just let us know, we'll figure it out. And that's been pretty helpful, but DSD has definitely been pretty beneficial in kind of helping us keep a lean team, but you know, scale quickly too. You know, I think that's really exciting to know in terms of that. And for those who don't know, right. DSD stands for direct store delivery partners. And a lot of times they will do everything from not just distribute your product to the store, drop off the back door, but actually make sure it gets on shelf and even do a lot of merchandising. So is the partner you're working with kind of doing everything full through merchandising for you? Yeah, as much as we can get them to. Yeah, they've been super helpful with merchandising, especially with some of these fun, you know, kind of trial activations, you know, getting some good end cap placement is always important. But yeah, you know, we've been leaning on as much as we can, for sure. How familiar are you finding the market with Agua Fresca as a drink and as a category? I'm familiar with it. I know I'm pretty sure like in Texas and California, there's a pretty good awareness. But have you had a lot of people ask like, what is Agua Fresca? Or is there a high educational threshold you finding most consumers that you're targeting already are familiar with it? I think what's pretty interesting in one of our assumptions going into it was that the level of consumer knowledge for a beverage like Agua Fresca is significantly higher than a lot of other new entrants that are bringing these new beverages into the marketplace. As Agua Fresca's proliferation within uh, Hispanic food and beverage culture is really quite broad. You know, you go to any taco truck coast to coast, you're going to find some form of Agua Fresca just as yet to be commercialized and distributed at scale yet. But to your question, absolutely, there's still a little more consumer education that needs to be done around Agua Fresca. But it seems that other beverage brands are pretty confident about the ability for the category to succeed, as we've seen from a couple of the new entrants to come into the space, including Minute Maid, launching their own Agua Fresca as of recent. So There's a really interesting thing that happens for brands like us whenever a large beverage conglomerate or a large CPG conglomerate makes a version of the product and nationally distributes it seemingly overnight because it sort of allows us to go through the consumer education hurdle of educating these groups in the Midwest or otherwise on what an agua fresca is because they have the dollars, so to speak, and the reach to show people what agua fresca is in the areas that might not be as familiar or don't have as strong as of a Hispanic culture. Yeah, that's a really great point. I remember when they launched and there's another brand that posted about how like, oh, no, they're like going to kill the category. They might like take try to take over the category for us, but might not be as authentic within there. And I think that something, as you mentioned, where they are able to educate a lot of consumers and then the ones who are more likely to choose Bowie are able to like, hey, like this is something I want to try because it's unique and from a smaller brand that I want to be able to support. 
So with the success that you're having so far, what are the biggest challenges for the next stage of growth? Yeah, I would say once you hit a certain scale, what we're finding, you know, within the CPG business, you have to get to a point where you have to develop the economic fundamentals of the business in order to continue growing. Otherwise, you are more or less at the will of your ability to raise growth capital if you do not have a good grip on your core unit economics. So, you know, these production runs are getting significantly larger and are requiring a lot more working capital than they were at our previous scale. So really, not really the problem we're facing, but the challenges of brands at our stage is figuring out how to produce at scale with keeping cost in mind. So a lot of variables start coming into play around cash conversion, around managing extra personnel, you know, you're graduating from a team of two or three into having to have more people join the organization if you simply want to keep growing at a similar rate you are. So really, it's economies of scale and management at this point seem to be the two biggest things we have to be working on this year. And tell me about the launch with Sprouts. It sounds like a really great opportunity to take Bowie nationwide. Yeah, yeah. So we partnered with Sprouts through their innovation program. So it's kind of a 90-day trial and depends on how the product, you know, sells. So far, it's trucking along really well. So we're, you know, obviously keeping our fingers crossed. But yeah, you know, it opened up some really good exposure for us in states that we haven't been able to penetrate with our limited distribution footprint. So we're super stoked on that. And obviously, it's gotten us some really good buzz with you know, people in the territories that were already a little bit more saturated in, especially Texas and California. But we should know here in the next few weeks on whether that is, you know, a full-time program or not. But nonetheless, we got a lot of really exciting things in the pipeline as far as retailers and, you know, fun food service partnerships and stuff like that goes. So it was a really good little stress test for us to kind of trial a, a national activation. And, uh, you know, obviously, fingers crossed, we you get to keep working with them. But we'll see, you know, that's the name of the game with some of these short term trial authorizations. It's really a good stress test to see how your team can handle a, a big national rollout, especially working with, you know, activating a new broadliner, which can be a very fun thing to manage and explore as, you know, first time founders and as an early stage brand. But yeah, you know, we'll see in due time. I love that. Well, Victor, Jordan, thanks so much for being on the show today and looking forward to following your journey from here. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us, us, Jordan.